0: You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. Discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time.
1: Welcome back to Fathoms. Oh, should I do it again? I heard heard my name. No, that was amazing. You actually went for it instead of like the the 30 second pause. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I can't even describe to you what that feels like. It's just like... It feels like there's an <laughs> elephant sitting on me and I have to like, get out from underneath it and go, oh, hi. You know. <laughs> oh. That's what it feels like. Are we keeping this like you did last time? Is yeah. that well, oh. what's happening now? <laughs> You'll learn. Okay. Pre- keeps okay. Your You'll scenes. Learn.
2: We know this. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Uh, well, yes. Uh, so we had a wonderful guest on uh, just now, uh, Rene Rosario. She is uh, one of the one of the people on the, the core faculty of the the, uh, the narrative tradition, Enneagram. She I, I don't know that was so fun and so beautiful and, and just I don't know she's as you would expect a, a two you know just so warm and kind and I that was just a lot of fun for me. <laughs> what do you guys think?
2: Yeah, it, uh, it really was Our time went very quickly mm. Which most of the time, that's what happens. Not all the time, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I felt like, uh, you know, instead of us being the ones welcoming her into our little weird podcast technology (laughs) space, I think she was welcoming us into some sort of space that was Uh really profound. Mm. And uh, I think it was if you are unfamiliar with the narrative Mm. school, or if you think you already have your mind made up about the narrative school, positive Mm -hmm. or negative, I think this is a good episode for you because, uh, I think she provides a lot of the heart and vision Mm -hmm. behind the narrative school that I I, I thought was great.
0: It didn't feel like dogma, which is what I often feel from different schools. And that's, it it just felt like a really, it it really, like we were saying, invitation into like, let's be curious about this. What, what do you think about this? And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really just not concerned about being right per se, but does is is this helpful? Can we can we use this for mm. greater growth and integration?
2: She also helps us a lot with this area that I think is often underexplored in the Enneagram world, somatics mm. and the somatic experience, and helps us connect what's going on in our bodies with our stories, I think
1: in some interesting yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somatics, not cymatic. cymatics. Symatics is a different thing where you can actually Somatics. Yes. You can do you know what some so, Cymatics so cool. is? Oh my gosh. It's it's like you're seeing sound. I'm
2: not a musician. I barely hear it. We'll so. include a
0: YouTube clip sure. in the show notes with <laughs> Cymatics just for kicks and giggles. Just um just YouTube uh, And I'll learn along yes, with the rest of you awesome. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, without further ado. Enjoy Rene Rosario. Well, welcome, Rene Rosario, to Fathoms. We're really excited to have you on. Thanks for being here. I'm excited
3: to be here. Thanks for the invite.
1: Yes. Um... Awesome. So, well, to kick things off, um, I think to help our listeners get to know you a little bit, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where do you hail from? What's your background? And then kind of how the Enneagram showed up in your life.
3: So, um, little known fact, I actually hail from Las Vegas, Nevada. So, I lived to tell the wow. tale and I got out of there. Very
0: I- cool. <laughs> <laughs> I bet there's some so, stories there. Uh, you yeah, have some.
3: We don't go into those <laughs> <laughs> in What happens
0: it. in <laughs> Vegas, right? Stays in that's
3: Vegas. That's right. That's right. And <laughs> okay. I, I moved to Colorado in 1975 to go to um, University of Colorado at Boulder. So oh, wow. I've actually okay. been here ever since then. Wow! What were you enrolled in? Political science. Okay. Yeah. Oh,
2: interesting. I
3: thought okay. I wanted to be a lawyer. I watched way too much Perry Mason. As a kid.
4: <laughs> yeah. so it
3: really wasn't like that. It did fuel my activist side,
4: though. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And
3: sure. then in the in the early nineties, I actually went to Naropa University, which is a contemplative, kind of Buddhist-oriented school, to become a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, I became a psychotherapist in the transpersonal counseling psychology department in 94, and I've been a psychotherapist, you know, ever
1: since. Mm-hmm. Small private practice now because I teach so much. When uh, when in that story did the Enneagram come into play?
3: When I, In 1995, a friend of mine gave me Helen's cassette tapes, cassettes back then.
1: Cassette you young- tapes. Paris,
3: you youngsters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I had you, a
2: lot of cassettes as a kid yeah oh,
3: okay huh. thank you for saying uh, that.
2: I'm older <laughs> than the Seths here just <laughs> you know. so, and they, they make fun of me all the time about my age so
3: uh-huh. okay still look pretty darn young to me anyway the, so she gave me these sets this set of tapes for Christmas and I'll just mm. never forget I think I was in my car listening to the type 2 which is what I lead with mm. and just thinking somebody has been following me around. Mm. Right. I, I actually was a client in psych, you know, as a client in therapy in my 20s. And I remember spending like a year and a half. <laughs> All I do is take care of everybody and nobody. Appreciates me. <laughs> <laughs> and my poor therapist. And, it, and he didn't we didn't know the Enneagram back then. And mm. a, a year and a half later, I realized, oh, I've been giving to get. Mm-hmm. So when I heard the tapes, it was just like the yeah. light. Bulbs went off, right? It was just Mm -hmm. like, that is me. And so um, I will ask ask, or add one other thing. I worked for Naropa University in the transpersonal counseling psychology department for some years. And we had two years where we had 11 people and nine types all represented. And we called them the Camelot years. We all knew the Enneagram. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it was just like the things that got done because of that diversity of Mm -hmm. experience and orientation. It was quite amazing.
0: When you discovered your type, would you say that was a enlightening experience or a painful experience? I know different people <laughs> sure. have different, or, or both, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Both. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. I was really, really grateful. And then I mm. think like in the late nineties, Helen Palmer, who started the narrative tradition with David Daniels came to Boulder and just had a one day and interviewed people. And so I saw her pick three people out of the audience and just interview them individually. And I was like,
1: that
3: is it Wow! Mm. To, for, to hear people's stories through the lens of the narrative through their story through the Enneagram was and I was just like that's it so mm. I went on the certification route and here I am
0: before we jump into more um, serious topics we want to get to know you outside of enneagramness. so if someone was coming over who you really admire who would it be and what would you make them for dinner
3: Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's hard. Boy, right now, with what's happening in the world, you know, mm-hmm. the, the person that pops into my mind is a Zen um, priest. Her name is Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know who she is.
3: Yeah. And she's just, I've listened to some of her stuff, and she is so clear and so... On her spiritual path and doing good work in the world if it's around, you know, racial injustice, sure, being present. And I'd probably have to make her some
0: vegetarian meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> Not
3: the steak that I might eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> do you do you have a vegan dish that, that you that you know how to make, or would that have to be <laughs> a internet search?
3: No, you know, I could make my famous shepherd's pie without the meat.
2: So Famous I think, shepherd's yes. pie. Yes. Oh, um, nothing wow. like comfort food,
4: right? Yes.
2: <laughs> that does sound great. On a mm. cold, snowy Indiana day, a shepherd's pie sounds pretty good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so outside of the Enneagram, what are some of your biggest interests or hobbies?
3: I'm a dancer. I have been oh. dancing for about 30 years. And if I my alter ego could have another you know, life,
2: it, she would be part of a dance troupe. Okay. What uh, type of dancing do you enjoy?
3: I go to a class called, i mean, everything: world is heat, <laughs> yeah. African hip hop, modern, wow. jazz, oh. just all different kinds, choreographed.
4: Mm. You know,
3: choreographed to different music, and the woman huh. who actually is the teacher that I'm dancing with right now is an eight, so she gives us a really good workout. That's is, great. Uh, I didn't, wow. That's being so, that's one of my favorite things. Okay. And um,
1: do you compete at all? Oh no. No? (laughs) No? Okay. I'd
3: like to show off, but I don't (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, the other thing I love to do is hike and walk. And I will Mm. tell you that um, my colleague on the narrative, Christopher Copeland, Mm. and I walked the Camino in Spain. He did the whole thing and I did Mm
4: -hmm. part of it Wow, wow, 2019.
3: And so we're going to do the Portuguese way. Starting orto wow. to Santiago and then out to the coast oh. in May. So I am racking up some miles right now.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, Colorado is a good place to rack up some miles.
3: So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. What's your uh, favorite trail in Colorado yeah. to walk?
3: Mm, there's this one trail that's lovely. Just this isn't long enough, but it's called the Annie White Trail. Mm. And it just goes through this little Little valley with a little mm. creek by it and the forest. And, and you know, it's like five minutes outside of Boulder. It's a great yeah. thing about Boulder. The hiking wow. around is
2: lovely. Mm. Uh, do so. you watch TV? I do. A- any particular favorite show right now or something you've been kind of binge watched recently?
3: I loved Ted Lasso. Ah, uh,
2: uh, yes. <laughs> right? Like, <Yeah. laughs> smells like people, potential. Yes.
3: People kept talking about that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Couldn't there be a, a third season yet? Yeah. And other than that, I love British murder mysteries. Oh, very good. Cool. Oh. So Such as Midsummer, uh, Midsummer Murders.
0: Okay, okay. I'm getting into more British TV, so send me some uh, <laughs> uh-huh. recommendations. I, I
3: can do that.
0: Yes, do that. awesome.
3: That and some Australian too. There's some good Australian. Oh,
0: oh, interesting. Yeah. So back to the food
1: thing. If there is a favorite restaurant in Boulder, where do you, where do you like to go? Let's
3: see, favorite restaurant there are some really good restaurants I love Jack's just kind of a seafood restaurant mm. Lucille's which does kind
2: of Creole breakfast food love that okay <laughs> yeah I'm getting hungry now
1: guys <laughs> <laughs> okay one one more one more question then if was there any like defining moment that was like so Helen was sharing the Enneagram and you were like wow that one's me you know. Was there one main defining moment for you when the two really hit you?
3: Well, just when I heard it on the cassette tape.
1: Okay. You know, that was really
3: boom. And then, of course, when I started going to classes,
1: Mm
4: -hmm. and
3: you're sitting on a panel with, like, people of your type. Like, I remember sitting on a panel, there were eight twos. And so, we had microphones, right? And David David Daniels was leading the panel, and he said, Oh, that microphone's a little... (laughs) a little too far away and you almost saw like eight heads crash together (laughs) to move the microphone to help out. It was like, I was like, do you need to
2: see any more? (laughs) The narrative is in a nutshell, the type. It's pretty clear, right? (laughs) Yeah, That's great. That's great. Well, Renee, you are part, as you mentioned before, of the narrative tradition. Uh, which some of our listeners will be familiar with, others may not. So I'm wondering if you could just tell briefly the story of the narrative tradition, and then, uh, well, let's start there. You know, help, help us understand the creation of the narrative tradition and then we'll talk about it a little bit more.
3: Right, right. So the narrative school actually began in 1988. Okay. And in the San Francisco Bay area, we're still teaching when we go back in person, hopefully in August at the same place in the same room.
0: Oh, yeah. are you serious? At mm. a retreat
3: center, a beautiful wow. retreat center. That's special. But, you know, back in the in the beginning, you know, Helen was part of kind of when Claudio Naranjo brought, you know, kind of more of the psychological aspects in and started talking to people. Helen and another woman named Kathleen Spieth started actually doing this panel method
4: mm.
3: of interviewing people. And, and so it's, you know, it started that way. And the, I mean, and back then it was Mm -hmm. gonna be like an evening class and there'd be 200 people in the room. Yeah. You know, just hearing the interviews. So, um, and David Daniels then found out about Helen. He was a professor at Stanford psychiatrist and really pushed her to create a school like we need to train people Mm. in how to do this so it started really as a training program specifically to teach people Mm. um, how to do the interviewing technique
4: yeah Yeah,
3: because it's an
2: art (laughs) yeah and and so along those lines for those that haven't experienced a narrative tradition panel could you just briefly describe it like what is what is a a panel at an Enneagram kind of training look like?
4: Right.
3: So so typically in most of our trainings we have type panels. So whatever And we, we say the type you lead with because you're more than your type. You have this pattern. Sure. It's your adaptive survival strategy. And so you know we invite people up. It's an invitation, and we interview them asking them questions relative to the topic. So if it's a you know the first part of the intensive, it's just major themes of the type and people share their stories as well as, you know, the theory in a sense, but you're getting the theory through the content. So it is very different than reading about it or Mm -hmm. actually just staying in the cognitive because you're getting the experience, you're feeling people Mm -hmm. um, and what's going on with them, right? And then you also see the different, you know, we have common themes, but we're all very unique right? The pattern might be the same, but you see all of the different ways the pattern might show up.
0: on yeah. a You said there's a specific, there's a talent to doing these panels, to interviewing these panels. What do you, what do you mean by that? Like what's, what are the, the ways to be good at it?
4: A
3: lot of our training and what's really important is that you can actually stay really present and attentive and in rapport with the panelists because it's not just firing questions. It's like asking an opening question, but then actually inviting people to inquire, Hmm. you know, to go a little bit deeper. If that's cognitively to go a little deeper, when you share that, what comes up in your body, Mm -hmm. you give that some space. So in the panel method, you get content, but you also, people always say, like, I wasn't, I didn't know I was going to say that on a panel. You're held, the, the audience is creating this field that holds them in a place of compassion. And I tell you what can happen in like 10 minutes on a panel after being a therapist for many years Mm. is phenomenal. Um, But the the art is you have to be really present and kind of trust yourself. When you have a group of people holding that person with compassion and care and curiosity, it's like, it allows something magical to happen. I hate to use that word, but it's, Mm. it's kind of indescribable what can actually happen. Wow.
1: Yeah, I've I've been in some of those before, and I would totally agree. And there's there's something about and I've been in a lot of uh, Enneagram teachings over the years, and still those panels are just my favorite. There's just something about the real life human experience being expressed. Right. And you know when you're up there with a bunch of people that see the world the way you do, it's not like it's different than. Uh, one of every different number or whatever like you're you feel like w- we know what we're doing you know it, it feels a little less lonely if you were to be up there representing the only one mm-hmm. too
4: right
1: yeah it's yeah like sure. I, they were yes exactly even though our our stories are different we, we contextualize our version of the of the type but yes it's it is magical it really is i mm-hmm. agree
4: <laughs> yeah
1: So maybe just to finish up this kind of
2: introducing the narrative tradition Mm -hmm. to our audience, you know, we've talked about panels. Are there any other aspects of the way in which the narrative school goes about the Enneagram that would be somewhat distinct?
3: Yeah. I think the fact that we center experience as the primary tool of learning Mm. Versus the, I mean, we do didactic and we do small group exercises, but, but right. the person's experience and they are the expert on them. I, David Daniels said this years ago that the narrative is the democratization of teaching because yeah. we all become mm. teachers to one another.
1: Mm, sure.
3: And students of one another.
4: Right? Yeah. And yeah.
3: So that's a, a beautiful piece. We really believe that you only you can decide your type so not getting typed from the outside is a core belief. We meet people where they're at, you know, people are at all different levels of growth. And then mm-hmm. I think this whole piece around the three aspects, the three legs we bring into our integration embodiment of spirituality, psychology, and somatics
4: mm-hmm.
3: to actually do transformative work is really novel, but those are separate things, but that we bring those together in our, mm-hmm. in our work.
1: Yeah, that was some of the, some of the direction that we wanted to go with you. I wonder if we could dive a bit more deeply into that. I remember when when uh, you and I forget who else was there. Now off the top of my head, when you guys came to Nashville and did like the introduction, Peter. Like, wait, okay, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the one of the first things that stood out to me uh, was, like you just mentioned, the three kind of crucial aspects of personal development through the lens of the narrative spirituality, psychology, and somatics. So I wonder if we could like, can we narrow in on each of those and define what those terms mean for the narrative tradition and then what that even looks like based on like, like you said, integration, embodiment. Right, Yeah.
3: right. right. So what we, you know, we see the Enneagram as an amazing map, right? It's a great map, but it actually isn't the territory. Like we need to explore to bring the map alive. And so these three legs are how we do that most people enter through the psychological leg, right? We start to mm-hmm. understand our pattern, we become aware of it, you know, <laughs> we celebrate or we cringe, you know, whatever <laughs> we do.
4: Yeah.
3: But that psychological leg is, first of all, it's like, oh, I have a pattern. Mm-hmm. And it is limiting, right? It has, it, it, that pattern privileges certain information and discards a lot of other information. So wow. I can see a world filled with people's needs as a two, and somebody else doesn't see that you know, and then what motivates that, right? So, we, as we work that psychological leg to understand our pattern, it really is about loosening the type structure, the mental, emotional habits of the type, just by kind of being aware, right? Mm. There it is. In that awareness, we can maybe take a pause when we start to go through our, you know, automatic pattern. When you integrate that with spirituality, to go next, and these two are. Kind of in the narrative for a long time. The somatic is more than new like, But spirituality is not around a particular tradition, it really just is about increasing our capacity to be receptive. Receptive mm. to something larger than us. You might call that God, you might call that the universe, the great spirit, you could just call it consciousness or awareness. But mm. there's something bigger than just our type structure. Yeah. And so, we do practices, to try to, um, you know, attention exercises, awareness activities in the body, etc., to actually start to connect to something larger than us, Mm -hmm. to get more receptive. Our Mm -hmm. types are all on the active, right? They are trying to act on the world. Even if you're withdrawing, (laughs) that's an action, right? We're all trying to act on the world. So that spirituality leg really is like, can I be present with what's happening in me right now? Mm -hmm. Thoughts, feelings, sensations, can I just allow it hmm. to see what else might happen. So, it's entering the mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. the somatic leg really is about, you know, we, we have a tendency to think that um, this little neocortex, this little pea brain that we have is making all of our decisions, but actually it sits on the the brain that's, you know, in the body, you know, in the gut and the heart. Those are two brains. And all those are very much informed through our instincts, through our evolution, We have an instinctual response to things, right? And how we see the world. So working somatically where we come in and actually get in touch with the felt sense loosens those instinctual like neural pathways,
4: Mm -hmm.
3: right? So that again, we can actually transform things because insight is not enough. And when we bring all those together, you know, in us, we become more integrated we separate things to actually integrate them to see how they're separate and we can actually mm. bring them together mm-hmm. consciously and we get more embodied.
0: Mm. What would you say um, integration looks like and feels like?
3: Well, I will just say for me personally and what I see in other people is we have a capacity, surprise I'm going to say this, to be kind to ourselves around things that occur if that's a difficult emotion that's coming up, if it's some um, reactive pattern we've acted out, right? We actually can notice that, know where it comes from to understand it's part of the survival strategy. To be present in our own bodies, to be able to say, oh, this is what's happening for me. So some mm-hmm. form of authenticity and some, you know, kindness and acceptance to self. Mm-hmm. Is what yeah. I would say instead of just in a credit going crazy on us every time we make the same mistake again.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. You said um, in there briefly that the somatic piece was—I uh, forget exactly how you worded—but what it wasn't early on as as the the spiritual and the psycho psychological. Mm-hmm. What kind of caused things to shift in that direction or be added in? Yeah, so, with the somatic piece,
3: and I think it was two thousand six. Uh, a um, woman who's a physical therapist and has done a lot of trauma work named Marion Gilbert, who was mm-hmm. one of our core faculty, she's now adjunct, came to the training, and we, um, you know, we use this, what we call frosty, you know, the head, heart, and body center, so mm-hmm. in like circles, and there wasn't yeah. a lot of information in that body center circle. We did active practices. You know, we often had Aikido teachers come into the training or something around the active part, mm-hmm. but, but she said, I can help with that. Hmm. and so she and her you know amazing wisdom around the body really brought this somatic piece more in about what's actually happening inside and why it's important to pay attention to it and so the and the work we do is is a little bit of a morphing of what's called somatic experiencing where you bring your attention and allow it to be present
1: right you know? mm. Yeah, yeah. Our theme this season has been around story, like knowing our stories, so knowing what stories to drop, and knowing the stories of others. And I really feel like I'm I'm curious if you could kind of riff on this, if you wouldn't mind, about like the stories that are held within our bodies Mm -hmm. that we are maybe even unaware of that we need to drop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's not entirely a question in there, but
3: well, I can tell you what comes to mind. Yeah, Um, in my own in my own journey. So I lead with type two, as I said. And so connection is really important, right? Heart center, it's all about being connected. If I'm connected, I'm okay. You know, getting approval, all those things from outside. So when there was oftentimes like a challenge, like I would notice like, oh my gosh, I'm wondering, did I say the wrong thing? Maybe some disruption in that connective field. I would often just very instinctively like go pick up the phone and, like, call the person just like, hey, how you doing? You know, I wouldn't really direct, like, like say, like, are we okay? Or I'm feeling this way. I would try to make nice, mm. right, unconsciously. As I have been aware of that pattern and worked with it, what I recognize is before all of that mental stuff happens, there's actually a, a story in my body, and that's a story of a panicky feeling in my chest. Mm. An urgency, it's that somatic element, to do something, right? Something is off. Mm. I often didn't notice that I felt off. I just got in my story. I got a feeling like, oh, my God, I wonder if we're okay. You know, I wasn't even noting what I was feeling. I was just, there was some emotion, mm. and I would make the call. So as yeah. I started working with that, it's like, oh, no, what's happening here? And because the truth is, I might be upset with that person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right. It, it, you know, so so our bodies tell a story through the sensations, hmm. the messages they give us that get interpreted through our mind, through our stories, right, which are often inaccurate. Hmm. The stories we're telling, right about a situation.
1: right. Yeah. This reminds me a little bit of uh, I know uh, it's a mutual friend, Leslie Hirschberger who yes. talks about heart types. Being doing types. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It sounds like that's a little bit of where are you are going. You guys have done a lot of work around the centers together. Is that right?
3: Yes. Yeah, she and I did yeah. yes, some years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. She, she finished it. <laughs> <laughs> and the doing is a lot around connecting,
4: mm-hmm.
3: right? It's like doing something for approval, recognition, mm-hmm. love, appreciation.
0: The somatic stories that you're referring to, these are just to reiterate, these are nonverbal stories they're not necessarily articulated is that was that would you agree with that
3: absolutely okay
0: okay i i just wanted i wanted to articulate that for anyone listening because i think it it is quickly whenever i work with clients it's they think the somatic needs verbals to it right. instead of just allowing it to just observing watching it
3: really yeah. to actually really be present we have to at least let this you know story be quiet for a little while to pay attention here yeah. Yeah.
0: and then
3: something other awareness might arise that comes up into like, Oh yeah, this is what's happening or
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, like some other cognitive piece. But our, our, our cliff notes for the, our somatic work are notice, pause and allow. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that's challenging or something that's positive, can you notice that? Can you take a pause, breathe, Can you come inside and allow yourself to be with whatever's there Mm
1: -hmm.
3: to see what happens next?
1: Yeah. So it sounds like these are like the first thing that are actually, the first thing that's actually arising, right?
3: It is. It's the core. It absolutely Mm -hmm. is. Mm. You know, the mind makes sense or meaning out of what's Mm -hmm. happening on a deeper level.
1: Yeah.
2: And it doesn't seem like you need to have a, full and complete grasp on your type in order to notice, pause and allow, right?
3: That's correct, we yeah. you definitely do not. That's just good good general mm-hmm. <laughs> encouragement.
2: Yeah, so that's good for all of us regardless of type or mm-hmm. even whether or not we know our type. Absolutely. I'm curious, could someone, like if we have listeners who maybe are still struggling to figure out their type, can somatic, somatic work help us discover our type? And if so, how, or is it, does it not work that way? <laughs> right? Or does it work um, the other way where once we know our type then we can make maybe a little bit more sense or meaning out of what's going on somatically.
3: Right. It's a good question. And what I would say is, I think there is a way that it can be helpful in discerning what triad, what center you're in.
4: Mm.
3: Right? Cause yeah. actually somatically, you know, the mind is in the body, too. Somatically, you know, head types might notice more anxiety and more mental activity in general.
4: Right? Sure.
3: Body sure. types might notice more physiological input in general.
2: Sure. You know?
3: mm-hmm. Heart types might, you know, notice more, I want to say emotion, but, you know, emotion is just like energy in motion. Mm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It's not necessarily can be attached to a story, but it's energy and motion.
1: Yeah, um, I know a big theme or, or an aspect of the narrative tradition is around the inner observer, um, and I'm just thinking about that in regards to even having the capacity to notice first in the first place, right? And I and I anytime I think of the inner inner observer, I I always I hear actually Helen's voice and. Anybody from the narrative tradition saying going in and down, you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious if you could, could you talk to our listeners about like what the inner observer actually is, wh- sure. what that means to cultivate that? Yeah.
4: Right.
3: Um, so the inner observer, you know, it sounds like a noun, right? It sounds like a thing, mm. but it's really the part of us that is witnessing or watching. It's really more of a verb. It is the field Awareness is like the field that, that everything arises and falls in, right? So it doesn't get locked into the tight pattern. Awareness is always present, you know. So the part of us that we call the inner observer is that part of us that's aware. It has no preference. It doesn't. It doesn't care what's arising in the field. It, mm. it, it isn't the part of you that's going. That's good. That's bad. <laughs> mm. right? It's just. It's this. This space. Uh, Helen used to say, it's like the moon. It just reflects, hmm. just reflects experience. It's how we can be aware of experience. And, and its importance is, is that we start to notice there's part of us that isn't the type pattern. And if I can be aware of the type pattern, you know, and you can notice that you're aware we, you are in that part that we call the inner observer.
0: And how does one cultivate that?
3: Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, there's no quick formula. Really. Oh. There's not a switch or something in the back of my head.
0: It's the only reason we started this podcast was try to find that magic pill. I mean, once well, you again, disappointed.
1: Share it with me if you find it. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 You
3: know, you can find it really simply. Do you know, like right now, if you all just put your attention on your left foot, how it's resting in your shoe. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You can shift your attention. You can be aware of that. You can shift your attention to your right foot, right? Yeah. The trick is to practice, practice that enough that you do that more regularly.
4: Mm.
3: And so, you know, I'm a mindfulness practitioner, so I meditate every day on being aware and being aware in my body, noticing what's coming up. Mm. So however you do that, there are so many ways. It could be noticing your feet on the earth when you go for a walk, there's contemplative prayer there's all sorts of ways but it's somehow exercising our attention gets so pulled out to all of the there's so much input right so many things to pay attention to turning and paying attention this direction mm. right, really takes practice yeah. self attention you know
0: in your yeah. experience as it when it comes to stepping into more observing the somatic sensations in our body what have you found to be as you've worked with lots of different people, um, the most difficult part, most difficult hurdle for people to get over to understand?
3: Well, I'm gonna answer this kind of twofold. First of all, I think you need to get buy-in. Why is it important? Oh, okay. Mostly people get pulled into their body by pain and they don't wanna go there because Mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable. And when you're happy and free, you're actually not often paying attention to that in your body. Mm-hmm. So for me, the the part that first needs to happen is actually need to know why. I, and I will tell you this one quick story, which is, I read this book called The User Illusion by some Dutch author, I think, years ago. <laughs> Can't pronounce his name. Um, but in there was a study of, of consciousness. And he said, you can be consciously aw- aware of about 25 to 40 bits of information per second.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: We receive through the unconscious and the body Eleven million bits of information per second. I mean,
2: that, that's just like mind blowing. It's not a very good average, though. <laughs> <laughs> Doing the math. Wow. But, wow.
3: but the point is, you can't. the, yeah. the our, our brains can't digest that. So, so the the type I believe privileges information relative mm. to that and discards all this other information. Uh, right. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yes. Yes.
3: Right. So awareness getting in touch allows us to open to a greater field of what might be happening.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Which then again shows the way in which our type structure is kind of an efficiency protocol, right? Sometimes to our peril, right?
3: Yes. And yeah. brilliant, a brilliant way to navigate so much information. You wouldn't be able yeah. to probably get out of bed if you were aware of 11 living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: So it's not all <laughs> bad, but it also is limiting us. Right.
3: It's limiting us. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as we get more receptive, we can open to intuitive knowing that comes up from something greater, that isn't being cycled through kind of the mm-hmm. limited capacity of just our gray matter in our brain.
0: When you find yourself stuck in your your type pattern, what are some practices, habits, rhythms that you found to be really helpful to continue to lessen the degree that you are affected by your type?
3: Yeah. Well, I think I'm gonna repeat myself a little bit, but but noticing it come up and mm-hmm. actually spending some time with myself and what it's what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, sensing in my body. And then again, sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, I know for a while there, as we brought in the somatic work, it kind of felt like you could just go off and take care of yourself and perfect yourself all by yourself just by doing this body mm-hmm. stuff. But what I know is we're relational beings. Yes. And yeah. so when I have an issue up, I also need to share with somebody that can hold me in that mm-hmm. and understands that and can, you know, love me through that and help yeah. me to actually move beyond it. So for me, it's mm-hmm. it's doing the inner work, but then it's also that. Reaching
0: out, please. So, does the sharing give you some some level of like sharing the burden, or giving a little bit more ob- objectivity, or just someone else to commiserate with how you're feeling? What, what's yeah? What is? <laughs> how is you, that helpful?
4: Yes. <laughs> go, oh, sharing is caring. Creek. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: so, I, I would say the the reaching out is about it's kind of like what happens in the field in our classes with the audience and the panelists, Mm -hmm. right? That you have someone holding you in care and compassion around this issue, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. that you've often judged yourself about, that maybe you've been judged by others about, Mm -hmm. but now you're having a reparative experience because this person actually, and and what I know from my friends, because, you know, I'm a two and I'm fine. And it's all good. (laughs) And they're often quite grateful when I fall apart and they want to be there for me and hold me. And that helps me to know I can't, I don't have to be just have it together all the time. Yeah. So, and you know, sometimes they do (laughs) for you. For (laughs) you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious, Renee, um, after, you know, the years of the any kind of Enneagram work that you've done, are there any... More defining aspects or characteristics or just can you tell there's more space? I'm curious, what's the difference between all the work you've done and, and now?
0: Basically, does it get any easier? I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please. No, it's just
1: a big dark hole. <laughs> oh no. Creek <All>
2: right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, secretly like, wanted you to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Being a four,
0: that sounds like great, great wow. like a great time. So uh, <laughs>
3: Well, I like the word you used, which is space. Mm. Right? It feels like there's more space. Mm-hmm. I feel I mean, kind of, you know, when I think of my many years, I won't tell you how many, but many, many years of being a two. What I know is where I used to get really caught up and mm-hmm. give myself away and not tend to what I need, to not be to be more manipulative, less direct, less self tending and caring um that has all gotten a lot better Mm -hmm. i know my own agenda i'm able to speak my truth more instead of just wanting to keep the connection Mm. so maybe not speaking my truth so i I feel more empowered in general and and it's life is more fun there's Mm -hmm. more light and looseness and space
2: you know
0: yeah
2: hey that that is encouraging sorry creek
0: yeah (laughs) <laughs> i guess i'll give in to the light side um, <laughs> you don't
3: have to stay here but just come visit a little
4: bit okay? <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all
0: right, on the weekends on the weekends <laughs> that, that's so good <laughs> <laughs> great uh renee again as we're closing out here thank you so much it's been really great time has kind of flown by can't believe yeah. it's already been 45 minutes um so thank you again for your presence, for the work that you've done on your own self, and being a great example for us young bucks on <laughs> what it means like to be a a healthy integrated human. So thank you for for the work that you've done on yourself and for the work that you're doing for the broader Enneagram community. Um, so could you share could you share with us how our listeners can contact you or narrative training, workshops, any, any things, this is the time where you plug all your
3: things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do want to plug our training. We're actually coming out with a new website in the next
1: couple of weeks.
3: So it's going to be so much better, but really come, come narrative We're a nonprofit, you know, Helen and David gifted us their intellectual property we continue Mm. to grow. We do have um, uh, Christopher Copeland and my colleague and I are doing just a little intro, like a 9 to 2.30 intro, you know, versus a three-day dive. Mm -hmm. Um, People that are interested in the narrative tradition, uh, April 30th. So, you know, that's on the website and just um, come to classes, check it out, you know. Yeah, so Renee at NarrativeEnneagram.org.
2: And and one thing I will say is the narrative school has been really effective and proactive in making trainings available to everyone, right? So you don't just have to go to that one room in, in the Bay Area in order to learn from Renee and her colleagues, right?
3: right I mean we since we went online I and mean, we were it was a three-year plan we executed in a couple months when the pandemic hit yeah
4: <laughs> um, you
3: know we have people showing up from all over the world and we have scholarship opportunities we have um, we've initiated really in the last year and a half a whole new kind of dei kind of scholarship help to really try to immerse ourselves in in becoming more diverse as an organization and you know hearing the wisdom of of our uh,
1: people that have not always shown up, you know. Well, I think that's all we got. I, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you so much for for coming on. Um, it's been it's been fun, uh, and yeah, just the 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 times that that you were here in Nashville were remarkable. Personally, some of my favorite Enneagram moments. So mm-hmm. thank you for your presence. Thank you for uh, just yeah your authenticity
3: mm. and
1: being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Seth.
3: Thank you. It's been really so much fun for me.
0: Mm. Thank you. Good. Thank, Thank you. you, Renee. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.